0: Okay. Oh. Okay. Good morning, folks. Glad you're here this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians six. We're going to be finishing up this chapter this morning. I hope. Um, and uh, just continuing where we picked up, where we left off. We left off about verse seven um, in uh, chapter six. And we've read through this several times, so I'm just going to go ahead and pray and just kind of pick it up right there and we'll continue on. So, Lord, I thank you for today and I thank you for your blessings once again. Father, I just give you praise for your word. I thank you that we can come together, uh, Lord, as a body of believers, that you have called us to serve one another and that you've called us to uh, evangelize our community as well. And so, Lord, I pray that when people see us, they see you, not us. Uh, Lord, I pray that they see the love uh, extending from um, everything that we do, and Lord, that the decisions we make are the choices that you have already made beforehand, Uh, Lord, and that we're just faithful in following you in that area as well. So Lord, I thank you for um, Paul's writings to the people of Corinth, the inspired word that you gave him, and I pray that you would help us to understand and apply it to our lives today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So in verse 7, he's continuing on. These are, these are starting in verse 6. There's a list of nine inner qualities that Paul describes um, that are there for the purpose of furthering the gospel. And uh, in verse 4 and 5, you remember the, the nine trials that are listed there that he describes, and we went back into Acts to see you know, all of the occasions where Paul suffered from different things, different events and trials that went on in his life for the case or for the sake of furthering the Gospels. But in, in verse 7, um, the last three of these inner qualities, he gives spiritual resources that, um, that we use or that he used to advance the ministry and to advance the Gospel message. And the first one he lists there is truthful speech. Um, and I think I mentioned last week that truthful speech is simply proclaiming the gospel. Um, giving, giving responses and giving truth out of the gospel as, uh, as trials come, as questions come, as discussions come. Seeking after what God's will is when we make decisions uh, that involve any type of spiritual... Uh, growth any type of spiritual encouragement um, with one another and of course remembering that this is within the context or within the the assembly of believers is how is where this is all taking place so if we back up to second corinthians chapter four in verse two he says we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and in the sight of God. And so there's, there's times in our lives where sometimes that means that we have to stop and say, okay, God, what do you want? Because I'm not real clear on exactly what it is. Or I have this sense that there's something that I'm not doing correctly, uh, so what do I need to do? And it's, and it's always helpful to walk alongside with a brother or sister in this area. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've contacted people like Jim or other mentors that I've had in my life going, I know there's something just not quite right, that my spirit it doesn't have any peace. What's wrong in this situation or what's wrong in my decision right here? And, and it oftentimes takes somebody who's more knowledgeable in the scripture, that has a little more wisdom, that has a little more experience, to come alongside me and say, okay, let's look at this together and, and help understand uh, how, how we do that. And that's what discipleship is for. And that's, that's the importance of being able to have those relationships. And the technology that we have today puts the resources right at our fingertips, you know, to be able to call somebody at any point during the day. Um, and and research alongside with somebody else. And so anyway, Paul gives us the instruction to use truthful speech. Um, And when there's a situation like Eve, when she's standing in front of the tree, that Satan will even use some truthful speech to try and convince you to do something other than what God has planned. And so that's the, the, uh, the caution that's there as well. So going on in, in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 6, he says, And in the power of God, um, this is full reliance on the person of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, to produce <laughs> results. So <clears throat> in other words, if the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will never speak on His own, but He will always Uh, he will always say what the Father has already said before. So in other words, the Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything that hasn't been described in here for us to be doing in the first place. And so there's sometimes a question about, excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat this morning. There'll be a question about, well, the disciples, they went around and they went around touching people and healing people and 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 speaking in tongues and this and that and the other why aren't we doing that today how do how can we answer that question and say that again it's not necessary okay but how do you know it's not necessary because we have this because we have this and what does <laughs> these are all correct answers and so we're step taking steps in the right direction okay Jesus was on the cross And even though Paul and Peter and James, there's very, very few times where, uh, and and only two people that I can read that this actually happened with was Paul. (coughs) One time he laid hands on somebody and they were filled with the Spirit, the Philippian jailer and his family, okay? And they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues, okay? And Peter, (coughs) when he went to uh, to the soldier's house, and he gave the gospel message. And I believe that was as much a learning experience for Peter as it was for them. Uh, Peter went to their house and he prayed and he gave the gospel message and they spoke in tongues. Those are the only two occasions where I know that I know of in the Bible where a recipient of the gospel message from another person received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Paul gives the instruction and Peter also that... <coughs> Speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts. And he says, don't focus on those things. And not only that, I'll get you in just a second. Not only that, <clears throat> those, are, those things are, are things that are not taught repeatedly. So you'll find things that are instructional for Dave Mannion and Christ Church today are things in the Bible that are repeated, they're are repeated over and over again. You'll find multiple places in the Bible where they're given as commands. So things that we take out of the Old Testament... Don't always necessarily apply to us today as far as what we should be doing But there are things in the Old Testament that carry over into the New Covenant That are given as instructions Such as the verses in following in this chapter we'll get to later um, Those are instructional Video. Or video- <laughs> <laughs> we live in an age of technology, don't we? And even I give in and fail sometimes with it uh, But anyway Um there are instructional verses that are taken out of the Old Testament and implemented in the New because they follow through with the New Covenant. So, yes? So, in both of those situations, they were done by apostles them, So, could have that been the situation? <coughs> um, I would say yes, and I would also say that the people that were receiving those those gifts were going... To be evangelists to the communities that of the the demographic that they were in, okay. So the Philippian jailer and his family was going to continue to evangelize Philippi, and the same with the with the Roman guard. He was going to, you know, because when Paul writes Romans, there are Christians in Rome, and Paul's never been there. Okay, there are people that are getting the gospel message, and there's never and there's not been anyone sent. As far as apostello, there is no sent one that has already gone to Rome. But there are Romans who have been around Paul, who have been around Peter, who have heard the gospel message, who have given their life to Christ and take the message back to Rome. And Rome is being evangelized through the obedience of people who receive the gospel message from the apostles. And so those things are happening, um, but it's never given. You know, there are gifts That particular gift is not demonstrated or given with a purpose to continue on into the church and all the way through the church age. Um, Just simply because, like you said, we have the gospel. Uh, It's completed. So, um, and now I don't say that to say that in some areas of the country where they may not have the complete gospel, they may not have it that God won't use that to evangelize that community for a time. Uh, But it will always be an intelligible language, and the instructions are given in 1 Corinthians 14 on how it's to be done. Uh, The instructions are given that, you know, it's not a random, uh, chaotic-looking event that we see happening sometimes on television and some churches and things like that. He says that one person speaks, and... Maybe two, but then there's an interpreter there to help them understand. And if there is no interpreter, you need to tell that person to sit down and be quiet. If there is an interpreter and someone else gets a message, these people are done and there's order. These people are done, this one stands up and so on. Um, But unfortunately, there's so many times when we kind of disregard that um, when when it comes to following the scripture. So the the full reliance um, on the person of the spirit produces results first Corinthians chapter two if we just go back these are all things that he's already described to Corinth um, and that he is giving further instruction on if we just read verses one through five he said so I made up my mind um, first or er, Second Corinthians. Did I say first Corinthians? Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. First Corinthians two. Yes. Sorry about that. First Corinthians. First Corinthians two. Yes, I was in the wrong spot. I told you. The, I told you the right thing. And then I turned to the wrong thing myself. So, yes. Final answer. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So can anybody give me a a picture or an example of how that might look today? Verse 4, if we look at verse 4 and 5, again, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay. And, and demonstrates it. I mean it's not we, we don't we have normal professions. We don't have this oh, I'm a preacher by trade or whatever. Right. Um, so, so we wipe titles clean. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a worship leader, I'm excuse me. That doesn't matter. God's not concerned with what our title is. What he's concerned with is are we following him and obeying him day by day? exactly and so the real familiar verse they'll know that we're christians by by our actions by our love right so the simple fact is if i say i'm a preacher but i mistreat people left and right and i don't leave a tip at the table when i get up and leave in a restaurant and I, I get nasty with somebody when you know i don't feel that i got treated right they didn't honor my coupon at the grocery store i'm going back there to get my money you know that kind of thing you know and we've all been there We've all been there. You didn't give me my extra care bucks, you know, <laughs> right? <Yes>. Right. <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The receipt from the receipt, you have to be six feet tall to get a receipt from CVS because it starts up here and it goes down like this, you know. But there's things on there that I want, you know. Um, anyway, but <laughs> sorry, I'm getting off subject. But how does that look today? I mean, I mean we have a nature inside of us that wants to react, that wants what we, des- what we feel we, we deserve. and And so if it is a Spiritual thing, for to 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 take a step back and go, okay, Lord, what do you want? And that's hard to do. I mean, because we we've been so accustomed all of our lives that it's okay, or even you know, we've been around people in the body of believers um, that that live that way that we really don't have a good example. That's why Paul says. Follow my example as I follow Christ. And he encourages each one of us, because I think every one of us at some point, and, and myself being the biggest one that needs to do this, can look at the things that Paul says and that he does and go, wow, I need to be more like this. I need to be more like Christ, because Paul is giving me that example. and He's showing me that a human being. We can look at Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus could do that, but he was God. And, and true, but he was fully human as well. And we know that by his death. He was fully human, and we know that by his emotions. We know that by his birth. We know that by every. I mean, when, when you cut his hand, he bled. Okay? When, he, when they put the nails in his feet, he bled. And it was red blood, just like yours and mine. But he was God in the sense that he had pre-decided, he had had determined that he was going to choose what the Father had ordained for him to do. And he tells us that in his prayer. He also tells us that he learned how to do that in Hebrews 5. It says that he learned obedience. What does that mean? It means that he dealt with the stress of making the right decision in a difficult situation every time. He dealt with the stress and he always made the right decision. So did he understand anxiety? He, you betcha, he did. Probably more than I do. He he, he realized the reality of that in the garden when he p- was praying, pouring out his heart to the Lord, sweating blood. He was already bleeding at that point uh, because of the anxiety. I don't. And I think that anxiety was twofold. That stress was twofold. It was the stress of of the pain involved in a human death. And also the pain involved in having his father turn away from him and put the sins of every person on him. And so, full reliance on the person of the Spirit to produce results. Uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He, uh, the, the writer here repeats second corinthians chapter four in a number of places um, but as we look at verse seven it says but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from god and not from us um, I, I love the way that's described all surpassing power in other words there is no power greater and we have it if we choose to obey Christ. We have it if we choose and decide to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you say. Um, if we look at Romans fifteen thirteen, this is the last passage on this. Before I read this, I want to ask a question. Do you ever feel like there's no hope? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like there's no hope? Okay. I think most of us can probably say yes. I don't know if maybe everybody can, but most of us, there's been a time where we feel like there's no hope. So as we read this passage, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Right. that better. Like, um, is there a human hope, or do I have my hope placed in God? Because there's many times where, okay. humanly, there's right. no hope. No and you're making an important differentiation there. So I guess I should have clarified that. As a follower of Christ, as a believer in Christ, do you ever feel like there's no hope? Has there ever been a situation where you feel like there's no hope? You shouldn't feel that way. And so that's what I'm bringing out with this. I have underlined, as you trust in Him, in that verse. So in other words, when I feel like there is no hope as a follower of Christ, I have made the difficult decision that I have have backed off of my trust in the Lord for a while, or for a moment. Okay? And so... As we trust in Him, I've heard it put like this: If we're fully, like I said a little bit ago, full reliance in the person of the Spirit um, and full reliance on God's Word as promised and true and and all surpassing power, if I already know that, what what can what can happen to me that God doesn't permit? I mean. Nothing can happen to me that God doesn't permit, and nothing can happen that's going to take away my salvation. Nothing can happen that's going to take away the promises. Does that mean that I'm going to die? <laughs> Not without His permission. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so some are shaking their head no. Some are thinking, I'm, th- "I'm thinking, well, yeah, wow, that's great. I hope I don't, you know." But uh, right. And so <laughs> David says, "Help me to, to teach me to number my days aright and to, to number our days." And, and Paul writes as well, um, that there's an appointment. It's a point I think it's Paul. Maybe I'm getting that confused, but I know the verse, I just don't know where it's at, but it's a, there's an appointment for every man wants to die, and then after that, the judgment, I believe, is in 1 Corinthians. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where it's at. You? Do you? Okay. Um, but yeah, but it says that every person will die once, and then the, then the judgment. And so, um, what's that? That <laughs> you have to know? Okay, you look it up for me. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that. And the question is: is, do I live my life today like today could be my last day? Hebrews, thank you. So I, did, I probably didn't quote the whole verse. So let's take a look at that. 27. It's a mid-sentence uh, passage. So if we start in verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. So he says, Otherwise... Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, they did. <coughs> That's okay, but this was written long after that, so <laughs> What's that? Yeah, they, yeah, they were. They were holy people. So in Matthew, it's Matthew at the at the was actually happened at the death of Christ. Matthew records the ground shook, the graves broke open, and raised from the dead. And so there were like um, I forget his name, but the guy who uh, when Paul was preaching fell out of the third story window and died, and and Paul went Uticus. Thank you. Paul went down, and threw himself on. He says, Ah, he's not dead. Or, you know, he he raised him back to life. So there were occasions. Um, um, Peter went to Joppa. Uh, who was the girl that Peter... Yeah, I forget what her name is. Um, Tabitha. Yeah. So Peter goes and he raises Tabitha from the dead, you know. So those people, yeah, they died once and then they died again. Um, but <clears throat> the point that's being made in Hebrews chapter 5... Or Hebrews, I'm sorry. Thank you. Hebrews 9. uh, The reference that's made there is that we'll die, everybody's guaranteed to die one time, a physical death, unless the rapture happens first. And then the judgment, and for those who are not waiting for Him as it's described or following Him in their life, they'll die a second time. And that's the second death described in Revelation 19 and 20. that, that Jim has touched on before as well. So, um, I read Romans fifteen thirteen, right? Okay. Yes. So in Matthew 27, at Jesus, after Jesus' death, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Right. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Right. Was it? After, does it say that? No, I thought it was at the crucifixion. Go ahead. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. There you go. It's not your word, right? So, right. And went into the holy city. Well, it sounds. It does. Came out of the tombs. It says the graves were open. It says the. The ground shook, and the and the tombs were open, but it says they came out after his resurrection. His holy people. so in other words well see yeah, there were there were people from Old Testament, but they were it also describes if she keeps on reading, it describes that they were people that that the people that were living in that day looked at them, and they recognized them. Hey, that's my dad hey, that's, that's so-and-so from down the street, you know. So they were people that were recognized that they knew that they had died and they had put them in there themselves. Um, and so th- that doesn't mean that there wasn't. I don't know if there, there were, old, you know, patriarchs from way back. I don't know that. But it describes that they were people who were recognized. Uh, so they knew who they were. And so, um, and Matthew's the only one that records this. Uh, So, you know, um, I don't know what that necessarily what significance that holds, uh, but uh, it is definitely truth. So. um, So, yeah, in Romans 15, 13, the the description there is as we follow Christ, we can have hope, we can have joy, we can have peace, so peace is. That passes understanding or that that transcends understanding guards our hearts only when we are fully submitting and rejoicing in the Lord. And so I love Philippians 4. Uh, I love the whole chapter because it starts by saying rejoice and it ends by saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. By the way, I know what it is to do this, this and this. And after that verse where he says that he is rejoicing over the people of Philippi because immediately when he left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica and he went to Berea. He was only in Thessalonica for how long? Do you remember? Three weeks. And in Philippians 4, he says, you sent me aid more than once. I'm guessing that they got together every Sunday, took up a collection and said, okay, somebody, we need a volunteer to take tomorrow off and go to Thessalonica and take the gift to Paul, three weeks in a row. And then he travels to Athens, and he travels to Corinth, which is about approximately 400 miles. And they continue, according to um, 2 Corinthians 11, the people of Macedonia, that includes Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those people are still sending him resources. They're still sending him uh, supplies and money and things like that. To take care, and so he's able to tell the people of Corinth. I didn't. I didn't come here relying on anything from you. The people from Macedonia kept sending, and they don't have anything. They live with half of what you live with, (laughs) you know. Um, And so they're traveling 400 miles if they're coming by sea uh, across the open Aegean. 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 Thank you. Aegean Sea. They're they're traveling across there to deliver this stuff to Paul in Corinth and then back. And so, anyway, um, full reliance on the person of the Spirit. We see that demonstrated as those people reach out and support um, Paul in the ministry as he's going forward, and and Paul is giving the same instruction to the people of Corinth. So, weapons of righteousness. The last part of verse seven. Um, He's fully relying on God to be fully equipped to cope with the attacks of the adversary. From any direction. So Romans 13.11. Just take a look at that verse. He says and do this. If I if I just read this first phrase real quick. And do this understanding the present time. What is he saying to do? If you go back to the beginning of verse chapter 13. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But he's talking about being subject to the authorities. There's one authority um, that God put, his, put in place. Uh, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Um, that's what he's talking about when he says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Um, we'll go ahead and read verse 12. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe, your, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh so in that last verse do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh the desires of the flesh come when we spend our time thinking about those things and so the, the easiest picture of that that I can think of is everybody knows what Google is right? Google research is what you look at And Google puts back in front of you similar things to what you look at, what you spend your time doing. Um, YouTube does the same thing. And so when you go on there, Netflix does the same thing. Roku, Roku does, (laughs) they all do that. It's a marketing uh, deal. Say that again. Right, right. And so (coughs) your phone geo-tracking okay yeah and there's there's such a you know yeah that that takes i'm not going to go into the there's a there's a whole bunch of other things uh, and that that contribute to that but if you want to know what you're passionate about i mean i used to say ask your wife but now you can ask your own device well no i mean and i don't mean like like literally ask the question but you can go to your tv or you can go to your phone or you can go to your computer and pull it up pull up the whatever site you normally go to and because you watched because you watched you might like these things all the recommendations that are made why because you've gone there so many times that it sees a pattern to your life that there is a a pattern that's developed okay and ads oh my gosh ads will pop up for the same you know if i research this weekend i was looking at wood-burning stoves you know next week there'll be an ad for a wood-burning stove of some sort or a furnace or this or that why because i went there and so be careful where you go but but it's but it's the same principle that paul is saying here that if you want to defeat and be victorious over temptation, you have to train your mind to think about godly things. And the Spirit of God will remind you of the things that you've thought about that are godly and that are spiritual. And pretty soon, those other things don't have as much power as what they once did in your life. Will they still be a temptation? Will there still be a struggle? Yeah, there can be. There can be a moment of weakness, and there's times when... That in that moment of weakness, we need a brother or a sister to, to, to really grab a hold of, to walk with. Sometimes it may be your spouse. It may be, you know, uh, somebody close to you in your family or something like that. But the importance is a godly person to help you do what you know is the right thing to do. And so um, Paul understood this. He, he understood what it meant to rely on God. He didn't travel anywhere alone. Uh, there were times where he traveled with just one or two, but even in his in his last days, he knew that it, they were his last days. When you read Second Timothy, but he had Luke with him. I, I'm convinced that Luke probably never left Paul's side from the time he joined company with him. Uh, I, I, you know, it doesn't ever say that he sent Luke to do this or to do that or, you know, but he, he does say I left. Titus I left Silas I left Barnabas here and I left them with tasks to do and, and responsibilities and they joined up with me later but that's never mentioned about Luke to the point where he gets to the end of his life and he says only Luke is here with me but there were times when Luke wasn't able to be in the arena that I was in and I had to stand alone and it was just me and Christ he was yep so Anyway, um, I kind of rambled on about that. Let's, let's move on. Uh, oh, one more thing I wanted to say. We don't have to turn back there, but about Romans 13, where he's describing being subject to the government. Um, do we have a government today that is godly? Okay, so, how, so what do we do with that? How do we argue that? Right. Right, so did God put that government in place? Yes. Well, he, he, allowed it to he allowed it to happen, but he didn't ordain it to happen. So when we read in Isaiah 9-6, when the government, you know, uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders, the reference is that as long as Israel and as long as we continue to follow Christ, as long as we continue to do what God wants us to do, that is our established government. Okay, God puts people in leadership that He wants in leadership when the people want a king, and that king is is God. So if you go all the way back, Israel, you know you you guys have probably heard the story. Israel wanted a king. I'm your king. God's God's your king. No, we want a king like they got. Somebody that's going to lead us in battle, and he's going to he's going to stand and fight and this and that. Okay, fine, have it your way. You know, and and so. The <laughs> So things start going awry, you know. Um, But anyway, uh, in verses 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians 6, we're we're given nine pairs of paradoxes. Um, We won't get deep into these, but we'll just touch on them. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, Dying and yet we live on, beaten <clears throat> and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, Have n- having nothing and yet possessing everything. Um, all of these we'll get into more detail when we get into 2 Corinthians 11 uh, and if you go back and you read through Acts you can, you can find places throughout the book of Acts where all of these things transpired and Luke wrote about them there. Verse 11, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. And so Paul has always been open and sincere with his relationship with the Corinthians, the Christians. Uh, in Corinth, and Paul's candor and speech and an understanding unrestrained, excuse me, unrestrained affirmation of affection marks everything that the apostle Paul says and does. And so, what he's asking them to do is he's asking them to 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 imitate him, to reciprocate. Um, he's asking them. He, there's an understanding that they are believers. They've demonstrated their beliefs. They've received the Holy Spirit. They have exercised spiritual gifts, but yet there's still tension, uh, just like in his first letter uh, to them. There's still tension that's going on, and he's addressed those things, and there's still just kind of a struggle that goes on and on. And uh, the demonstration of love um, needs to be reciprocated. And so when he he gets into this, I've got... (laughs) I've got a list of verses for these. Um, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4 again, just real quickly. I'll just pick a couple of them out. Verses 14 through 17. So he says, I'm writing... I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant uh, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you this, to, to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. So I wanted to read on there a little bit because um, at this point they're trying to say, well, Paul's being a little wishy-washy with what he says because he's changed his mind um, on whether or not he should go. So then if we jump down to chapter 10. Yeah. And we read verse 32 through chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God or even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Um, I think the Apostle Paul is the only person that can accurately 100% of the time say that. I've heard a number of pastors get up in front of their their church and say, Paul's telling them to follow him and you guys are to follow me just like they are following Paul. And I would say to that, to a point, I would say yes until your pastor gets out of the word of God. You know, so the the uh, the description that Paul is saying is, Jesus told me that I would be the messenger to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Him, only him. Okay? So as your shepherd leads the flock, as... He's following Paul's instruction as he's following God's instruction. Yes, absolutely. But there's no reason why we can't be like the Bereans and say, "I don't understand this." And you guys are pretty good at that. I like that about this church. Um, When Jim gives a message or when I say something up here, sometimes I'm sometimes I miss things. You know, and that's just all there is to it. Be like, well, what about this verse? Oh, (laughs) I didn't see that. I didn't know that. I'm glad you brought that up because now we can correct um what what was said so um back in second corinthians starting in verse 14 i just want to i'll make mention of this um i guess i'm gonna have to finish it next week <laughs> <laughs> so i want you to think about this this week as you leave do not be yoked together with unbelievers i'm gonna read 14 uh 14, 15 together do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellowship, what can fellowship, sorry, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or Beliar? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? for we are the temple of the living god and god has said i will live with them and walk with among them and i will be their god and they will be more their and they will be my people so i'm going to stop right there so what does he mean by being yoked together with unbelievers say that again okay Mm-hmm, <laughs> right, so remember the context of all of 2nd Corinthians and what we've been discussing up to this point, where are we when we're talking about the things that we're dealing with in the church, okay, he's saying don't be yoked together with unbelievers, well, are we all believers? What he's describing is if there is evidence of resistance to the Bible, to God's word, don't make them your closest relationship. To the point where he tells Thessalonica in second or, uh, yeah, 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, be careful of those who are um, idle and disruptive. To the point here where he says, separate yourself to that, from them so that they will feel ashamed. And so, the goal, the purpose, the, the purpose isn't, I'm going to make you ashamed. The purpose is, you're not encouraging me to walk closer with the Lord. I'm sorry, we can't be friends. We can't be close. But he does say to treat them as you would an unbeliever. And so, that's where it's difficult for me. It's because I want to look at people in a church and go, you know what it means to be a believer. Where if I met somebody on the street that didn't know Christ or a coworker or this or that, I'd go, you know what, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I talk to you about the Lord? And I would approach that person differently. And Paul's saying, Don't approach them any differently, but treat them as an unbeliever. Share the gospel with them. And eventually one of two things is going to happen. There's going to be repentance and there's going to be a drawing in to the shepherd, to, to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Or there's going to be so much resistance. They're gonna, I'm not going back to that church. They're Bible thumpers. That's too hard for me. I'm not doing that. Boom. Now the evidence. You see what happens, uh, and that's the purpose. That's the goal: is to to either draw people into or separate them. Because if they're allowed to, if we're allowed to just sit and be comfortable where we're at, then the wheat and the tear that Jesus describes look the same you can't tell the difference and and so anyway so keep that in mind for next week that's where we'll pick it up uh next sunday thank you for your attention this morning god bless you guys